Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, a podcast all about board games. Ashley, well, oh. uh, this episode we're going to be talking about card games only. only card games on this episode. Only collectible trading card games. We normally do board games, board games, and the people who love board games, but this time it's card game, card game, and two people who love those card games, but mostly just one of them. Uh, yeah, that's more or less accurate card games card games and two people who like card games yes okay so (laughs) let's not try and undersell this podcast uh on this podcast me quentin smith and the person opposite me tom tom brewster tom tom your middle name is tom wait but you didn't do your middle name did you no but you said tom tom brewster tom oh right i thought you said quinn's never mind let's just scrap this and keep going (laughs) you will i'll leave you can edit this however you (laughs) want so, yes, on this Ramshackle podcast, Tom and I are going to be talking about two collectible trading card games. We're going to be talking about Flesh and Blood, which is a game that we like quite a bit. Ooh, really yeah. really like. Ooh. And we're going to be talking about Sawforge Fusion, and you're just going to have to wait till the end of this podcast to see <laughs> how we feel about that game. Let's look. I, I, can't, I can't wait any longer. I want to talk about the card game of these two card games that I think is really good and I would recommend people look at if they're interested. Yeah, we should mention that we, we just played this. We're hot off playing a hot new session of Flesh and Blood the card game. We are, yeah, yeah. We well, are. hang on. You, you're outpacing the sting. Let's put I'm the so sting sorry. in. Let's put, yeah, let's go back to put the sting in now. And then we can just carry on after the sting, you know, once we've returned some order to the world. Right? Yeah, perfect. Okay, I'm going to talk about Flesh and Blood, so you have to talk about Soulforge Fusion. All right, that's fine. Okay, so Flesh and Blood is a game designed by Jason Chung, Chris Gehring, and James White, at least according to the Board Game Geek page. And it is a game of two players having a fight. What kind of fight? Magic the Gathering is about having a fight, isn't it? It's wizards having a yeah. fight. Well, listen, oh. Flesh and Blood is about having a proper down and dirty brawl. It's mm-hmm. about having a sword or a club or a tree, in Tom's case, <laughs> and just absolutely leathering your opponent with it. It's a it, it, The clue's in the name. It's called Flesh and Blood because it wants to model a bitter, mean, gory duel yeah. uh, between two people. Mm-hmm. This is probably the only card game I've played where, if you want to, you can elect for your shoes to fall off <laughs> uh, because your opponent hit you that hard, which is a whole separate mechanic. Uh, I'm honestly quite impressed by this game. We got told to look at Flesh and Blood. If, honestly, we've been told to look at this game for years. But... As I think the listeners will discover in this podcast, it's quite hard to review trading card games. Right. Because the by definition, trading card games are designed to be sort of a hobby more than just... I mean, mm-hmm. admittedly, most uh, most of the way that card games like Magic the Gathering are played is what's called kitchen table play. Yeah. Which is where you've got some cards and I've got some cards and we just play it. It's not competitive. But equally, as game reviewers, it's very hard to get away from these games having enormous pools of cards. They're designed to have a very high skill ceiling. Right. They're designed to be very complex and nuanced, which means, as happened to us with Flesh and Blood, hard to know where to start and hard to know when you're finished. Would you yes. agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, it's there's this sense that these games have much more of a life outside of our limited experience with them, right? Yeah. We're trying to sort of key in. We've, we've sort of, I think we've dabbled on the sort of multiple levels you could engage in Flesh and Blood with flesh and blood in, right? Yes. We've sort of tried out the very, very basic beginner set where yes. you're both players the same person. Yeah, so we were sent a variety of cards by the creators of flesh and blood. We both played Ira, the Crimson Haze, who's a cool beginner ninja. Um, <laughs> and so we we played Ira together and fought as her. Yes. And then we played the other thing that the designers of flesh and blood centers, which was the current cycle, right. like the current most modern things. And let me tell you, we had a bad time. Um, yeah. The amount of text on these cards was just out of control. Yeah. Do you want to talk about who you played from the new... Uh, the new? Oh, I've got a box here. ASMR, ASMR. This is from Tales of Aria, in which they've introduced this new mechanic of, like, elements and elementals. Oh, stuff. okay. So wait. Quinn's has just spilled a load of cards all over the floor. It's all ASMR, Tom. It's all ASMR. <laughs> Keep going. So that, yeah, that was... Um, I didn't know that the elements were new in that in that set. So um, that's, that's I, I, cool. If elements aren't new, then certainly they're using them a lot in this cycle. In this new set. So I played as Old Him, and I think I got the easier ride of it because Old Him's whole vibe is make people cold and then hit them with a huge hammer, which went pretty well for me. I think I won that game. Whereas you played as... I played as Briar, who I selected because she's a cool plant lady, but because we... She's a plant woman, she has a sword. Uh, (laughs) But because we were so deep into the, like, complex, like, modern meta of flesh and blood, 
She wasn't just a plant lady. She wanted me to juggle earth and lightning powers. Mm-hmm. Basically, I would describe our experience of playing the new modern flesh and blood cards as just drawing a hand of cards and sighing because there's like 400 yeah. words of text split across four cards. I definitely think that those sets are, you know, like you say, that they're going to be really good or, or probably going to be quite interesting and good people who, who kind of understand the basics so well, they're second nature. Absolutely. But for us, while we're still getting to grips with those basics, it was a pretty bad point to jump right in. Yeah. But then we Goldilocks style, um, <laughs> we, we ignored the cards we were sent by the developers, which were either too basic or too complicated. And yes. I made Tom go and Google what is an actual good jumping on point. Yes. So what did you end up buying for us? We ended up playing the classic battles Reinhard versus Dorinthia set. Uh, shout out to Sean, who helped me uh, acquire this this set of, of things, because it's perfect for us. It was exactly what we needed, right? Yeah, it was the right complexity level. You played an orc who got real mad. <laughs> uh, and I played a woman with a sword who hit you, ideally, twice, twice a turn. Twice ago. I did feel much... I felt like the character that I played right now, this big, big dude with a, with a giant tree that he was going to club you with most turns, yes. was kind of... It was like a much... It was the same kind of style of play as the frosty guy I had before, yep. but much, 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 much more accessible. Yes. Uh, gets into the the tax of the brass tax of what you're actually meant to be doing in yes. the game. <laughs> and you very much enjoyed. Well, let's get into let, let's, let's get into just it. dive right into it. Whoa. Okay. Probably we've we've talked for a bit too long without talking about what's exciting about flesh and blood, which is I think we have now after our Goldilocks like experiment of playing something that was too <laughs> simple, too complicated, and just right. Um, we ended up being quite impressed with the system in this mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. So, okay, goodness gracious. Uh, simple as I can, let me walk you through why Flesh and Blood is sort of unique and what makes it feel more like a battle. So, on your turn, you're going to draw four cards, which isn't very many, and that situation's only going to get worse <laughs> because, uh, okay, so on your turn, you are going to be attacking your opponent. Maybe once, maybe twice, um, if you finagle some stuff, but by default, you only get one attack a turn. Right. Then, and all the cards in your tech relate to either attacking, modifying an attack, defending, or modifying a defense. Mm -hmm. And you win if you manage to do enough damage to the other player to get them on zero health, right? Yeah. So that's pretty straightforward. However, I would say the crux of the game is that if I play a bunch of cards to attack you, and then you play a bunch of cards to defend, and then we pass over to your turn, you only draw a hand of cards at the end of your turn Mm -hmm. which means if i attack you and you throw away all your hand all your cards (laughs) defending um you then quite literally can't attack back yeah so if if i attacked with four cards and you defend with all four then i would draw up at the end of my turn you would have a turn where you don't attack right you draw up back to my turn i can attack you again yeah and how this shakes out is it gives the game a shockingly uh a sort of immersive sense of momentum. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, and a really really unusual in the general sort of like spread of card games that we've played like full stop, I yeah. think. This, this really strange rhythm that's about finding that like break or it's sort of, you know, you resist as much of a of, of an attack as possible. You're like going, uh, 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 yeah, yeah, getting, yeah. you know, getting beaten up. And then it's if you can just manage to sort of like stick it, you know, just get a, one attack through their defenses to sort of start prizing them back open and bring the tempo towards you. Yeah, that's the perfect way to describe it. Because it's if, great. even if you get in a small attack, either you're doing damage to me, which is good, or you're making me discard cards for defense, which means the next turn that I have... I will have less cards to attack you mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. So it feels, I don't know, it feels unique. It feels fresh. It feels very evocative. Like, lot, I, mean, I can't speak to uh, how uh, sort of like so much of the theme of and the excitement of card games come from the pairing of art and the card effects. Yeah. And I felt a bit of that, not with the complicated cards they're producing now, <laughs> which just were so busy with artwork and text that I couldn't quite get my bearings. But... I don't know. I liked to play a card that with a title like On Guard that showed mm-hmm. me walking out of a city and like going to have a duel and that's going to do some extra damage to my attack. And- I, I really thought that the mechanic that my character had, which was Intimidate, was really wonderful because it basically means that if you've been a card that has a really, really high attack value, your opponent has to not discard, just set aside a card from their hand so it just lessens their options to defend. Which, you know, mechanically, some of those cards, my guy looked absolutely terrifying, <laughs> which is delightful. But also, 
just you know mechanically it's so it's such a beautiful idea of intimidation i'm i'm literally showing you yeah i can bin this really high damage card because are you, are you scared because i can afford to chuck this away you know <laughs> um makes you seem sort of bigger and, and more powerful and yeah, yeah. great i really liked uh how equipment worked as well oh yeah so um lots of i don't know other card games i've played involve if you draw a card that might be like a sword or a hat yeah you can then play that card and equip it that's not how it works in flesh and blood because this is a duel. You brought all your equipment before you started the battle, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you will equip your weapon and your armor and, you know, your boots, whatever. Um, all of that is in play before the game starts. And uh, I quite like that this means that the game kind of has some momentum when it starts. Like, mm -hmm. even from turn one, unlike, say, Magic the Gathering, you've got options in Flesh and Blood. Yeah. Like, you could conceivably be attacked by your opponent and then on turn one be like, okay, I'll throw away my hat, my boots, my shield yeah, yeah. and take no damage at all. Um, but what I like that's really cool, we didn't experiment with this, but in a tournament setting, you can bring all kinds of different weapons and armor cards in what's called a sideboard, which is like cards you may play Ooh. with. Yeah. And then when you sit down, you go, oh, okay, I'm taking, you see your opponent. <laughs> you don't know what's in your opponent's deck, but you see what kind of person you're fighting. Mm -hmm. And then you can change your sword. You can change your hat. Right, you can change right. your boots. Um, and that might have been the right decision or it might not have been. But yeah, you equip your character differently um, with equipment based on who you're fighting. That's really cool. It's neat. That's very it? cool. And you know, I, just what you were saying there about this idea of like, do you scrap your boots like on turn one, right? Or do you save it for later? It's like, that's kind of one of the core decisions that's always present in Flesh and Blood is that to get the upper hand on your opponent and not spend your cards to defend their attacks, you're going to just need to take some damage at some point. Yeah. Right? Like that's when I've been successful in the game, it's because I've just been like, all right, fine. I'll just take a bunch of damage from this attack. And then your opponent goes, oh, you're not going to spend cards because they know that their next turn, you're going to have a full hand <laughs> of things to attack them yep, with. Which then means you might want to treat the rest of your turn differently. If, yeah. it, if you hit your opponent, they go, yeah, I'll take it. Then you, <laughs> suddenly you're looking at your hand like, of cards going, maybe I want to hang on to the high defense <laughs> value cards. Um, also, another cute little mechanic. I think we... I think this is really our review of Flesh and Blood, isn't it? It's just talking about little cute things we like. Right, right. In a game of cute little cute little bits of design. Yes. Um, should we talk about the arsenal? I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. I think this is kind of cool. It's, um, you only generate, I mean, there are probably characters that have bigger or smaller hand sizes, but that default hand size of four is very punishing. Mm -hmm. Makes you look very closely at every card. Mm -hmm. But at the end of your turn, if you have a card you haven't played, you can put that into your arsenal. Yeah. Your arsenal has exactly one slot for one <laughs> card and you cannot use it again until you have fired the card in the arsenal. Yeah. So, but you also can't use it for its defense value. You have to play it for the text on the card, all of which is a bunch of complicated language to say that you have to make a decision about what you put in the arsenal that you must use before you can free up the arsenal again. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it forces you to do a little bit of prediction or guesswork as to do you put a really good hyper-specific card in the arsenal that you yeah. may or may not be able to use or put in a super average card <laughs> that you will definitely be able to use, but it's not very exciting mm -hmm. or interesting. I think I was often using the arsenal as this idea of like looking at my spread of cards and, and having, because of this like very interesting jigsaw of, that, that's, well, actually one thing we haven't talked about is that one of the crucial mechanics in this game is this idea of pitching cards. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, so you can either keep a card and use it for its effect, but a lot of cards have a cost in resources. The only way you gain those resources is by pitching a card, which is discarding it, but it does come back to your deck yes, eventually. This is a very interesting thing as well. The rhythm of flesh and blood is such that I think it is designed so that your deck runs out. Right. Or like it can run out and that is something you're considering. Yes. So that, that adds a beautiful idea of stamina in the game mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you get the sense of warriors getting more tired and then <laughs> cards you threw away for energy if the game goes on long enough, will become your hand at the end of the game. And they and they cycle back in order as well, don't Yes, they, they do, yeah. You put them in your cycle pile in whatever order you want, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so, so the, the point being, right, is that often you'll look at your spread of cards and see like, oh, I don't know if I have quite enough energy to launch this like ridiculous combo that I could spring otherwise. Or your opponent will just do a little bit, little bit too much damage, so you'll need to soak some card and spend some defense, and then your hand isn't looking as strong as it once was. Yeah. The arsenal is a really good opportunity to be like, I'm actually not going to do much this turn. I'll maybe do a little jab, see if I can get through, but that crucial card, I'm just going to slip it in there, and then next turn will be the one. But then inevitably, your opponent does some crazy nonsense to you that means that you're <laughs> delaying that plan indefinitely. Gwens. Yeah, it, 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 it feels... It definitely feels like a conversation between you and your opponent as well. Different characters feel tangibly different to fight mm -hmm, against. Mm -hmm. I, my, honestly, maybe my favorite thing is um, <laughs> you can play as 
your every hero that you acquire as a card, you can right. play as young mm-hmm. or old. old. Mm. What is that too, Tom? <laughs> I can tell, Tom, you're excited to hear me talk once again about... About being old. About being old. <laughs> um, so the young version of your hero simply means you have 20 health, you know, which means you have to take 20 damage to die. Um, and you play with a fixed deck of something like, I want to say, 30 or 40 cards. 30 sounds about right. We're Citation guessing. needed. We're guessing. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can alternatively play the old version, which means you don't have 20 health. I think you have 40. Yes. Just a huge pile of health. <laughs> but your deck is also substantially bigger. I feel like your deck might even be something like 60 cards. Right. Or I don't know. It's 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 substantially larger. Mm-hmm. So you're... So I like that because I like that there are two formats of the game. You can play you can play the quick game that doesn't require many cards, or you can blitz. play blitz. Blitz, okay. Or you can play the longer, more intense version with a couple of old, old heroes. Not blitz. Now, two things I like. <laughs> yeah, not blitz. We, that's as much as we know. <laughs> two things I like. I like looking at card art of the same hero, but older. But older, yes. No, but that's all, good. 10 out of 10. More than anything, I just love this idea that if you are older, you have more cards in your deck. And because all the cards are like weapon techniques that you know, mm-hmm. means two things. A... Old people know more things. <laughs> B, old people have brains that are full of junk. And like, depending on your card collection, like a rule of collectible card games and deck building games in general is that the smaller your deck is, the more efficient it is. You mm-hmm, can just mm-hmm. put in the cards you want. The bigger your deck is, the more unpredictable it gets. And broadly speaking, the worse it gets. Right, right. So it's just the idea that you can play in the format of young people and who are like going to have a quick bruising battle and then die quickly or old people who will be around for a long time but their brains are just full of garbage and you're putting cards in your deck that maybe you don't even want that you hear oh yeah i learned to do a backflip one time when i was young maybe i'll do that now maybe that'll come in useful yeah exactly yeah the the game is just full of lovely bits of theme isn't it like like just like literally every single thing i mean we've just gushed about it without really talking that much about you know the nitty-gritty of the mechanics and stuff because we don't really understand the mechanics (laughs) because we've only played five or six games of it because we're a bit we're a bit thick yeah <laughs> but but the theme carries so much of this and it makes it feel so unusual in the space just the fact that it is this like conversation this call and response this yeah like, call and response you. is a great term for yeah it. and and it has some slightly sort of fiddly aspects to it like <laughs> it's kind of uh delightful and also irritating the way that you have in this game you have an attack step then a defense step then an attack react step, yep. then a defense react step, yep. and then you can do damage. Yep. And it's like, oh, I want to defend this, but is it a defense react or a regular defend? I don't, I'm not entirely sure. Very peculiar stuff, like the fact that on your turn, you get to take one action. Yeah. Asterisk. <laughs> and then if you follow the asterisk, it's like, well, about half the cards in the game have go again written on Right, them, right. Which meant that I, I almost lost the last game we played because I was so used to playing, like, I'll do this action, which has go again. I'll do this action, which has go again. Then you can regularly have turns where you do four or five actions. Um, but at one point in the chain of cards I was playing, I suddenly realized we just resolved an entire attack. But the <laughs> attack card I played didn't have go again. So all of my, like, cards that I played, is like, oh, your second attack this yeah, turn yeah, does three yeah. damage. And then I didn't actually play the card that would Huge enable me whiff. to do a second attack. Yeah, I think that there's also a really good... Um, we, we sort of said that this set was just right for us, right? This classic battles one was like what we needed. But I do really feel quite strongly that the very first set did have that we played uh, this Ira Crimson Haze. I believe that's some kind of beginner starter. Yes. Deck, yeah. But I think that's a really, really strong statement as to why uh, the style of the combat being this like call and response is so clever because you just spend so much time in your opponent's head thinking about, well, shall I sort of like overextend on this attack or shall I save it for my next one? Because that deck I think is just full of go again, go again, go again. Yeah, yeah. You have these really long chains of like, bap, bap. Going yeah, back and forth and fun cards players. like a flying kick, which isn't very good, but does tons of damage if it's the third attack you've done this <laughs> round, which means you're setting up, you're holding a flying kick and thinking about it for turn after turn. Yeah. You're accepting kicks to the face so that you can play a flying <laughs> kick later, which I think is very cool. I think you said something interesting to me, though, of like, you know, I the, the combat and the column response and the theme being what makes this card game stand out. Yeah. And I don't know. I think it's not great that we were told to try Flesh and Blood years ago. And just like everyone said, it is clearly very good. Mm -hmm. Um, But we got to it so late because there are just so many collectible card games out there. Right. But my goodness, if you want your collectible card game to survive, it needs, I think, a pairing of theme and mechanics this strong. Mm -hmm. It needs to be tonally and mechanically coherent in a way that... I'll tell you what, people were telling me to play Flesh and Blood for years. And while I didn't do that... (laughs) <laughs> I I never forgot about it. 
Right. Because I thought, oh, the idea of just being a woman with a sword and that's the game. That's quite, <laughs> I'm quite interested in that. You know what I mean? It has such a good hook to it, right? Yeah. It's it's so, it's it's very immediate and being like, do you want to play a, a card game that's basically like a two-player fighting game? Yes. You know, that's what it is. It's a duel. It's a brawl. It's, you know. Uh, yeah, no, re- really like some some kind of electric stuff going on there. Mm, I would. Um, so who do we think this is for? Hmm. So for me, as somebody who has certainly not played all of the, uh, you know, trading card games out there. Right. Obviously, you know, Netrunner rears its head, yes. which is being kept alive now by the studio that is no longer Project Nisei. It is... Uh, Null Sector, Null I think. Sector. Or Null Signal. No, Null Signal. Null Signal, great. One of those two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, and this this podcast has always gone on the record of saying Android Netrunner or now Netrunner yep. amazing game yes fascinating two player game of course Magic the Gathering also exists I do think that Flesh and Blood fills a slot that neither of those two games fill because yes. Flesh and Blood is drastically simpler than Netrunner mm-hmm. and it's drastically smaller than Magic the Gathering because Magic the Gathering is now it's been running so long it's like this 400 headed yeah, hydra yeah, right. that's very complicated to get involved in and also is sh- Magic the Gathering absolutely is showing its age because in being the card game that started trading card games, the <laughs> the foundation that the designers and there are tons of great designers from Magic the Gathering, but that the foundation of what the game is is quite bad, right? That and then yeah, and then the <laughs> started to creak a little. I think so. Yeah. Sure. Whereas Flash and Blood feels new, it's fresh and it's relatively straightforward, and I mm-hmm. think that's a lot going for it. Yeah. No, I I agree with all those things. I do think that I I was saying to you. Uh, just before uh, I, so when I came over here to record this podcast and play some Flesh and Blood, I had to find a little storage solution to put the cards in. And I put them in my little deck box that I was previously using for my Netrunner cards. And I took those Netrunner cards out and went, and and thought about all the good games I've had of Android Netrunner. I still feel like if you're looking to get into, you know, OCZG, I would still recommend what uh, Null Signal, Null Sector, Nisei are doing with Netrunner. Um, but if you want something that I think that a lot of a lot of people are coming into Flesh and Blood as beginners still, I think yeah. it's maybe maybe that's kind of an important thing, important distinction to make here, right? Is that like it's, a lot of the people? It's not a might, big, it's not a big sprawling popular game. It's it's relatively new, yeah, yeah, relatively new, and and people are going to be beginners to it relative to when you try and start playing Netrunner. A lot of the people you're going to be playing with have played the game for years. <laughs> yeah, I think probably also there's. I think for a lot of people out there, there will be some appeal in joining a community that's just smaller. Yeah, yeah. I think that the bigger a community gets, the I don't know, is it... I've, this is an assumption coming at you, Tom, but I'm going to assume the bigger and more popular a game is, the higher the skill ceiling is? Yeah, no, sure. I, or, or at least the higher the barrier to entry is in terms of like... I don't know, I really do... I feel like one of the first things that happened at the first Netrunner meetup I had was I didn't have any sleeves for my cards. And everyone was like, we're getting you sleeves right now. You've got to get sleeves. <laughs> and I was like, I think that's such a strange thing to have happened because it's such an unusual, like when you have these card games that have entrenched ideas about what they are yeah. and entrenched ideas of how you're meant to play and what you're meant to do and etiquette and all these kinds of things, it can be quite intimidating for a beginner. Yeah. And so I don't know whether Flesh and Blood will be exactly like that, whether you'd turn up and everyone would immediately tell you to sleeve your cards right now or face the death penalty. <laughs> um, but I do certainly think that, yeah, like there's definitely people aren't going to be presumably as dramatically confident at this game as they might be with something that's gone on for much longer. Yeah, I but agree. But that's another big assumption. You know, here's here's my final conclusion on Flesh and Blood. Uh-huh. Uh, as somebody who has not played it a great deal, but uh-huh. has enjoyed what I've played okay. with it. Um, if I was to meet someone who plays any number of CCGs that I particularly respect, I would be like, oh, okay. And I would not be interested in continuing that conversation. If you told me, oh, I've been playing Flesh and Blood for a year. Uh-huh. My response would be, ooh, how is it? Right. I right, want right. to know more. I like, <laughs> I've played a woman with a sword. I enjoyed it. I fought against you being an orc with a hammer. Yeah. That was cool. But I know there are flesh and blood characters who use bows. Mm. I know there are people oh, who exciting. use elemental magic. Yeah. How does any of that work? I want to know. I want to try it. I'm glad that I'm keeping the cards. Uh, yeah, I'm annoyed that you said that. I agreed to that just before this podcast. And now I've hyped up the game in my podcast. Then I'm like, oh, the, the cards. We've got a box. Containing all these booster packs. So um, what happened about now in the podcast is that me and Quinn's got very, very excited about the cards and fairly uh, ripped open a bunch of packs right next to the microphone. And as we did that, we were shouting out the names of the cards as we opened them. 
not only was this not very interesting, it also wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. Um, it w- wasn't good listening. Uh, in fact, it was com- completely unlistenable. Um, it kind of sounds like being inside of a Velcro. It kind of sounds like a, a disaster at the sticky chocolate pudding factory. So, so, so I've got rid of all of that audio because I think I'm worried about being sued um, by someone for some kind of hearing or audio damage if we left them in. Um, I've got rid of all of that. I'll, I'll, I'll drop you back in once we're done having our uh, having our fun. Thanks. Yeah, no, this set is all about elementals. This, is, what were they thinking? And it's like we would love to try your card game, but they've sent us this new cycle that is just full of like. <laughs> maybe they think it's because we're you know like somewhat professional or know what we're doing. They were like, you know, these guys we don't play, know that <laughs> these guys play a lot of games uh, for a living. You know, surely they're going to be good and going to be able to get in at the, at the deep end. Here's what I think about this new block, Tales of Aria, the cards of which you are looking through right now, right? I've got a shiny one. I feel like for the first, you know, several hundred cards, whether you, if you're just doing a game that's about fighting, it's like, you know, oh, so, you know, we'll do a card that's a sword. We'll do a card that's a big sword swing. <laughs> uh-huh. Do a card that's a big hammer swing. I feel like now they've just absolutely backed themselves into a design corner because they've done like every possible art combination for every weapon <laughs> which is why i'm looking at like amulets of lightning a picture of a giant something a picture of a butterfly like, a lot of these are much more like you know we were saying um that like you know magic the gathering you're like casting spells and summoning minions and whilst this game doesn't have like the thing that i liked about it originally was looking at sort of the martial arts things of like having people who are like i'm going to punch you yes, directly absolutely and that there are there is some of this new element stuff is more like i'm going to cast a spell at you which is still cool it's just one person doing something to another but it does feel like it's getting away from its core premise right yeah. sure yeah no that's that's pretty much where i, I feel about that but then none of the cards are like, you know, necessarily I'm going to summon a little goblin who's going to hit you because then you're sort of, then you're stretching this like, it's two people having a fight. No, but it feels somehow less honourable. Correct. But if I'm totally honest, I don't fully, I'm not, I'm no longer able to look at the the most modern cards of flesh and blood and immediately see what kind of story the art is telling. Sure. Except for this one, right? Which is a picture of a that card's just called mulch. <laughs> and it's a picture of some kind of plant golem. Quinn's, it's a picture of someone getting mulched. Oh, yeah, actually, that's fair. So from a card game which we think got a lot of stuff right uh-huh. and taught us a lot about what you need to do to succeed in the trading card game environment, now we're going to talk about Soulforge Fusion. <laughs> and you can draw your own conclusions as to our thoughts from that alone. I do think, okay... I'm going to sort of talk about, before we talk about what the game is, I'm going to talk about our journey with it, which is that we played a game of this in a dimly lit pub after we played some racquetball where I lost. Yeah, you did. And I think I got quite grumpy. I think I had a bad lost- and sad time because I lost everything. I oh, was you lost everything. the racquetball, came to the pub, you yeah. lost Soulforge Fusion. I thought you were doing quite well in our game of Soulforge Fusion. Yeah, we did okay. I, I don't know. Maybe, I, I don't know. I was tired. I was grumpy. I wasn't thinking straight. Okay. And played it again this morning and I liked it quite a lot more. I had a good time. I had a good time too. I don't think I would necessarily recommend everyone should go out and grab themselves a copy of Soulforge Fusion, but I do think that the starter set is really interesting for people who are interested in, in these systems, right? I think who I would pitch this to is maybe not necessarily someone getting into CCGs who's like a fanatic for them because they want something that's really tight and, and you know, like the next big thing, but maybe for someone who's just really intrigued to see what they're doing because there are some really interesting things going on in the set. I don't disagree. So uh, so this is a review of the, well, not review. This is a, some impressions of the Soulforge Fusion starter kit, mm-hmm. which I think I agree with you. If I was going to tell people to, I'd, I'd tell people, try the starter kit and then if you happen to love it, get more. Yeah. But do you want to talk about this game's big, exciting hook? The big, exciting hook, well, there's two exciting hooks. The firstly is that it's designed by Richard Garfield and Justin Gary, two big designers in the card game space. And secondly, it has a very, very strange mechanic where uh, it's called Soulforge Fusion because you are fusing two decks together to form your deck. And it's using the system that we've seen in games like Keyforge, where those decks are random, algorithmically algorithmically generated things. Um, so each deck is somewhat unique. It has its own little name at the bottom. Quinn's is looking at some cards as if to give us some of those names, but I don't know if he's found one that's funny enough yet. Uh, no, <laughs> I mean, people will recognize this naming convention if they've played Keyforge or seen our Keyforge review. But the starter kit contains some randomized decks, and these decks have the names I'm just reading now. The Rowing Specialized Wizards, the Deathly Sensing Task Force, uh, Thales Lightweight Sparks. I really enjoyed, uh, there was one that, I can't remember what my one was. 
Oh, it was like Atlantis's strike force. The Dewey exploring hunters. Yeah, so and you, so on and so forth. This is the kind of like, you know, word salad that we got <laughs> from deck naming in Keyforge. And uh, and we've got it here now. Again, it's back. Yeah. Did you I- enjoy it in Keyforge? I think it was, the answer is kind of a resounding kind of... <laughs> but where where Keyforge was a randomized deck that you then unboxed and played with and could not deck build at all. Right. In this, there is the tiniest squirt of deck building because you're taking two randomized mm-hmm. decks that you own and combining them. Smushing them together. So you are making a choice of what your deck is before the game starts. Right, exactly. And there's also um, a fun little thing as well is that you look at these sets of cards and you think, oh, that's 30 cards. That's, you know, a 60 card deck or whatever. But it's 30 cards because a deck is actually really only 10 cards. Yes. Each deck is 10 cards that have a level one version, then 10 of a level two version of those same cards, and then 10 level three versions of those same cards. So you're sort of, over the course of the game, you're playing with only really 20 cards yes. that are going to level up as the game goes on and get a bit stronger and more powerful. And now the reason we haven't talked about theme... <laughs> uh, yeah, is because it's all over the place. Well, yeah, so this is, first off, this is... When we talk about flesh and blood distinguishing itself by being having an interesting theme and being different, Soulforge Fusion is not that. Soulforge Fusion is that Magic the Gathering. You are blown to play a creature. Yeah. Your opponent can block it with a creature... If it's not blocked, it does damage to your wizard. Mm-hmm. And if the wizard dies, then that's the game lost. Although, I will say that it is kind of interesting having the lane mechanic that exists in this game, right? You have five lanes in front of you, and on each turn, the players alternate who is going to be the sort of active player, the, the forge player. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, what is the soul forge? Uh, it's a big hot orb that makes everyone happy. <laughs> I don't know. It's important in some way. We, it's either we're defending it or we're from it. Yeah. Or And that changes on a round-by-round basis. Oh. Each round represents days, years, <laughs> seconds. I've no idea. It's so... At least, I, you know, honestly, I could make fun of Magic the Gathering for just being kind of generic. But, right. honestly, but I, I, being a wizard, taking on another wizard, that's clean. I understand mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. I see what's going on. Soulforge Fusion is that, but just but, put in well, a bag Quinn's, and Quinn's, shake it you're, around. You're a Forgeborn. Oh, God. And you're summoning minions into lanes to fight each other. No, look, we're being too... We quite enjoyed this game. We Let's did. get it back on track. We just have some some bad things to say about the theming, which is com- kind of all over the place. I, I wonder know- if this is a side effect of uh, decks being generated by computer. As, oh, because, really? Because, well, <laughs> you <no>. think? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, surely it is possible for a game like <laughs> Keyforge or this, Soulforge Fusion, right. to... To have decks that have random names, but it is, you know, it it is consistent within a world. Here's what I will say is that I think that the world and and the decks don't tell any kind of cohesive story or theme, you know, within themselves, right? But individual cards can be quite charming. Sure. I can't remember the name of your guy. He was called like Zamul or something or Zimbus. (laughs) I can't remember. Maybe we'll try and find him now. Zemus. Zemus. He is, um, Zemus's power is the... Can we point out, his card type is Zombie Warrior, (laughs) and then the art clearly shows someone who is not a zombie in any way, shape, or form. Just a guy with an axe. But Zemus is going to come back every single time you destroy him, slightly stronger and stronger each time. Regardless, you can also upgrade him as well. So it's like, and and the art, for this card and seemingly no other cards (laughs) that we've played with, upgraded Zemus has him sort of like running towards the camera increasingly fast. Oh God. So do you want to talk, let's talk a bit more, because I think it's really the core of the game. Like, yeah, yeah. Did, why don't you talk a bit about how exactly how upgrading works? Yeah, let's talk about like, I'll, I'll give you sort of the teach. The way this game works is that players are going to take turns playing cards into lanes uh, in front of you. Draw a hand of five cards and then on your turn, all you will do is play one card into one lane or one spell, which doesn't go into a lane. It just goes in the bin. Um, then the other player gets a chance to play one of their cards. You play one more card, they play one more card. That's the end of the round. Then the battle happens, so any creatures in lanes will fight each other and do damage that persists between rounds. And then you flip who's in control of the forge, which means they're going to play cards sort of to the front of the lane. They're attacking and you're going to be defending. And then you repeat that ad nauseum until the game ends. However, however, every single time you play a card, you put the upgraded version of that card into your discard pile. And every three rounds, every three rounds, that's the end of a cycle where you're going to shuffle that discard pile into your deck. So now you've got upgraded versions of existing cards. So you have a slightly stronger deck. Yes, it's peculiar. You have a deck of 20 cards. You're going to be 
uh, drawing 15 of them. Yes. Of those 15, you're going to be playing six of them um, and discarding the remaining uh, nine. Right. And those six cards you play are going to be upgraded. Yes, exactly. And then you reshuffle back to 20. So after the first... uh, God, after the first basically 15 minutes of the game... You will have a deck of 20 cards, six of which have been upgraded. Right, yes. And then you can then further upgrade those cards if you choose to play them later down the line into their level three cards. And then when you play a level three card, there's no more upgrades. That just goes in the bin when it gets destroyed. Which means the game has this bizarre rhythm of like... Mm. So for, I I was intrigued and then excited, then confused, then excited again. Because <laughs> like, so first off, playing cards and knowing that not only are you playing them for their effects, but also then you get a better version of them to play again uh-huh. is cool. I also really like that because it means that while you don't know what's in your opponent's deck, the cards you need to worry about are the ones you've seen before. Mm-hmm, so like mm-hmm. if you drop something like a combat geist, um, <laughs> which is a real card, then I can look at that card, see what it does and know, okay, I will probably see this card again and it'll be worse next time. Right, right. Which is a nice way in a game full of randomized decks of getting to know your opponent's deck a little bit. Yeah, it's almost like you're sort of you know, there, there's very limited deck building in this game. You're just smashing two randomly generated decks together. But then the way that you upgrade cards within the game... It's is very conscientious. It, and it's kind of a, a, a little bit of, like, semi-deck building as well. Because yeah. you can kind of pick out the themes that you enjoy in those two sets. So, for example, uh, my... Because you also have a character on top of that that's going to represent your 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 main human or, or orc or whatever. Forgeborn. Forgeborn in this uh, environment. That character will have um, a set of abilities that will also improve as the game goes on. And so when we were playing, I noticed that my character is good at at buffing my uh, monsters. And therefore, I'm going to spend like almost all of the game picking out those cards and using those cards that let me buff monsters so that I can form a sort of buffing strategy over the course of the game. But just as easily, I could have gone a different way because the cards... You know, it's it's as much about what you pick as about what you choose to ignore yeah, at the same time. Yeah, I, well, while you were having those realizations, I had a very peculiar thing of like, uh, about 15 minutes into the game when I started upgrading some cards and we moved into phase two where you reshuffle your deck and draw again, mm-hmm. I was like, well, hang on, what choice am I making here? Because once you get into round two and three, you've got a hand where some of the cards that you've upgraded before are just, they are drastically better. This right. isn't like a plus one, plus one. This is yeah. like, they are almost twice as good right so when i would draw a hand where of which i draw five cards i get to play two of them yeah if two of those cards are upgraded i would be a fool for not (laughs) playing the upgraded cards right right? so then those silver cards become gold cards as they get upgraded (laughs) again but then towards the end of the game we encountered that moment when i realized once you've played a gold card it doesn't get upgraded it's just gone yes so you're never seeing it again right and that suddenly gave me this real respect for what the designers were doing because i realized like oh it's not just pick the best cards to upgrade them because that runs out. Mm. So actually, you, if you're looking, if you're playing with an eye to the long term, sometimes maybe you're not playing an upgraded card because you are keeping it for later. Right. But then also you kind of can't keep things for later because one thing we didn't mention is that, you you know, you pick two cards out of your five card hand to play. The other ones just go straight into the discard pile. Mm-hmm. So every turn you're faced with that decision of like, do I want to play this card that is like objectively really good and it's going to get upgraded? This is in the middle game when you're, yeah. you know, mid game when you're on those level two cards. I can pick a card that is objectively really good, but might situationally be wrong. Or I can play a level one card that is more useful in this situation, but I'm not doing that upgrade on that level two card. And I won't, it may never even get to level three. I tell you what, now we're talking about it, I'm realizing how much I quite liked the game and the structure and the way you're smashing two decks together. Yes. I actually think I like Soulforge Fusion more than I thought I did. Mm. And then what's letting it down for me is like, just a really disappointing theme and art yeah like it's it's so we were laughing as we were playing cards because it's it is incoherent and yet generic at the same time <laughs> yes Here, let me get some examples yeah while you're getting um, getting some some cards from there it's also i think the, another of my frustrations and this goes for flesh and blood as well to be fair but one of my biggest frustrations with this game is the process of like learning the rules for this thing oh god let's get to that yeah let me just finish we'll get to that in a moment and then we can talk about the rules and <laughs> uh the card you were referring to laughing at earlier my soothing bartok you're soothing bartok he soothes and he bartoks um <laughs> that in the same deck oh no not the same well my deck that i'd smashed together also included Sigmund Fraud, uh-huh. a play on Sigmund Freud, who is a zombie who makes other zombies better. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had a Scourge Hydra and a Spite Hydra, mm. two different Hydras, neither of them interesting. <laughs> um, I have a Zithian Dreadmore, who looks like he fell out of Magic the Gathering, which would be fine if the game wasn't 
half the time trying to go sci-fi. Right. Um, yeah, I, there's a whole bunch of cards. Like, I was playing a deck that was like, it, it kind of, it's weird because it's not, it, it is and it isn't silly at the same time. Right? Yeah. Like, do you remember that game, that AEG game, Smash Up? Right? Yes. People played Smash Up, which is like, I'm not that much of a fan of it, but the fact that you're, you know, it's part of the fun that you're combining a deck of like zombies and like, I don't know, angels in the or same deck bears, or, yeah. or teddy bears, right? That's like hee hee hoo hoo. That's like a funny, you know, like goofy yeah. thing that's happening. And say what you like about Keyforge's theme, Keyforge broad, Keyforge, I think, was an exhibit of like Fantasy Flight doing what they do best, which is, you know, theme and art. But Keyforge did manage to be goofy. Right. And still, and have hard sci-fi, but it, it felt totally consistent. Yes. Mostly thanks to the work of some artists and commissioning art editors who worked really hard. Mm. This just feels all over the place. Yeah, no, it definitely, it, it doesn't, it, it, if the point of it was that you were sort of like, you know, if it was somehow drawing attention more so to this fact that you've got these people from all across, like different, you know, histories and times and spaces coming together for this big fight, then maybe it would work. But at the moment, it just feels completely inconsistent and 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 incoherent yeah i'm literally looking at a deck that right now includes a mech with a hologram shield and then another of my cards is like wolf's packs call (laughs) with like wolf's wolves you know running towards the and like it's just and you know there aren't budget you know to be fair there aren't budget clearly isn't enormous but Mm. for a game that i really do quite like yeah and i think i mean i i don't hold me to this but i think i might enjoy the game itself more than keyforge right which i didn't love yeah um it's it's a, it, give me these mechanics with keyforge's art budget mm. and maybe i've got some you got something you that got I would, a bit more of a I winner would, that i would want to play yeah. yeah no sure but then i guess all of that so we're pretty positive on like the actual motions of play in this game i think right but maybe what we're we're not positive on the theme but if we're if, if anything dampened my experience of this game more than anything oh. else <laughs> that might be the thing that contributes to the sort of like I don't know. I think that at the start of this podcast, we made it sound like we really didn't like Soulforge Fusion, that we were really like Honestly, not fans of it at all. Yeah. But the more we talk about it, the more I realize like actually mechanically we're pretty on board. Yeah. Mostly. So. The problem that I have with it more than anything else is getting the rules to the table. Right. And this is a problem that Flesh and Blood has as well. It's not, you know, it, I, I mentioned this earlier, it's not something that is unique to Soulforge, but it was excruciating working out how this game works. To the extent that there was there was a moment when I was trying to find out how a rule worked earlier, where I clicked on a how to play video, <laughs> and then and then in the how to play video there was a link to like the manual or something, which I then clicked, and it sent me right back to the how to play video again. <laughs> and there are times when you just need like I just I I wish so. And this is actually I'm gonna go more I'm gonna be more annoyed at Flesh and Blood for this because I feel like. Flesh and Blood, you should know better. I, but the <laughs> well, thing- Richard Garfield of all people should know better, but go on. The thing that absolutely infuriated me about Flesh and Blood was the fact that we bought this classic battle set that's like a designed to be an entry point into the series that has, you know, in the box, there contains two decks and a play mat. Oh yeah, this is good. This is all good for beginners. And then a little a little tiny booklet. Here we go. Oh, I oh. It's so small, I can't ruffle it. This is more ASMR that is almost completely inaudible. I think you could... They can hear that. They can hear that. You can buff it in post. So it comes with this little rule, you know, this little quote unquote rules booklet that I got really excited about because I was like, oh great, it's going to have all the rules for the game inside of it. It, Or some of the rules. Or a quick start guide. Or anything. But no, it's like 40 little tiny pages of lore. Oh my God. It's literally, so the hero I was playing, um, a knight uh, whose name was... Dorinthia. Dorinthia, thank you. I forgot. That's very embarrassing. (laughs) We've got... Uh, three pages on her childhood, a, a pop-out <laughs> box on her family. We've got a section on the awakening of her power, a section called Genesis. We've got biographies of three different fictional people who trained her. Um, and honestly, I like I like this. Right. I like that they've gone all in on lore. I like that we bought a classic battle between two people we can read about. Yes. If you're asking me if I prefer having this to a manual, <laughs> I don't know if I do. Yeah, this is. I just feel like it's a criticism that I feel like I want to level at almost every CCG at this point, which is that like online-only manuals are just the worst when you're yeah. trying to get into a game. And like you know, the 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 new Netrunner stuff is doing this. Soulforge does this. Flesh and Blood does this. I think Flesh and Blood annoys me more than anything else because it printed a tiny booklet that's in the box. <laughs> It should have used it for rules. Let me read about the biographies of everybody online and maybe right, exactly. So, what would you do instead? What would I do instead? What yeah. do you mean? What's the solution? It's what 
to, to, to these rules is have a, a comprehensive online rulebook, sure, that you can update that's living and changes, but also just have, you know, like if you're getting into the game, you don't need to be 100% perfect on all of the rules. You just need to know, you know, how to play the game at a sort of, you know, reasonable level. Yeah, and-, and that might become outdated, right? That rulebook might not, you know, fully manage to encapsulate everything that goes on in the game, you know, forever. It might not be waterproof forever. But for the here and now, yeah. that's, that's that's all you need to get going. And I, I don't know why we got into this idea that maybe because Magic the Gathering boxes don't come with a manual, or they do come with a manual, but it's a fold-out piece of paper. Mm. Now we're dealing with these complicated games that maybe require more complicated manuals. Sure. It, it, there's there's just the idea that they skip that process. It is crazy to me that Soulforge Fusion starter box mm. does not contain a manual. Yes. Or that Flesh and Blood's Classic Battles set, which is a perfect jumping on point for the uh-huh. game, doesn't contain a manual. Yeah, yeah, you are right. If you are selling, thanks. A- yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was. I'm, I'm surprised. I wasn't expecting to like Soulforge Fusion that much. In the as we talked about it. Yeah. But- no. I actually kind of want to play it again. Yeah, um, because there is something really quite delightful about that about that upgrade mechanic. I think it's really nice. Oh, that's the other thing. Hold on a second. There was what oh, that was the other complaint. The, the tokens. I want to talk about the tokens. <laughs> Soulforge uh, Fusion has a situation where you need to constantly be keeping track of health and damage on your monsters because it's going to change over time and it's persistent between rounds. The solution to this in the starter box is some of the most pathetic tiny little <laughs> cards that I've ever seen that are like these little, I don't know, square dials yes. that you can use to to show how much health they are so fiddly they are so irritating they are the worst but also it, that i i would argue they're kind of necessary only because you're dealing with such big numbers right something might have plus nine attack and plus 14 health yes and you can't put 14 tokens on a gun i mean maybe you could do it i did it five. because we, no, you literally did yeah i took quinn's copy of el grande out of his collection and used the cubes in that to keep track of my health and damage and quinn's is like oh no don't worry i'll use the cards and then immediately got on board with my cube system you were right and i was wrong yeah which is probably makes you feel better because you lost yeah i know i lost i think both times you did <laughs> So I think, so that's been us chatting about a couple of uh, interesting living card games, mm-hmm. one of which we really liked and another of which we quite liked. But I think this episode of the podcast has shown why it is a complicated proposition to get shut up and sit down to look at living card games. Sure. Because they're big, they're hard to learn. And like, even after you've struggled through learning them, you're nowhere near even understanding fully <laughs> how they're played. Like, There's definitely going to be people listening to this podcast that are going to be upset that we haven't covered the intricacies of these systems. I'm sure there are intricacies to these systems and they're really clever and they have these heights that you can reach. But for us, we're just never going to get there. <laughs> we're not. We're not. But oh, I, I like these games. I like these games I, I wish I, it, it, this has been... Maybe there's another reason we don't look at living card games uh, mm. and collectible card games and trading card games. And it's because... When I play them, I feel like I'm I'm looking into the abyss. Like I go over <laughs> and I look down and I can see a whole life not lived where I just play Flesh and Blood or yeah, I just, yeah. you know, get really into Keyforge or something. You become that guy. Yeah. And so it's almost, it's bittersweet because I look at it and I go, oh, wow, this game's really interesting. I'm sure people are doing really interesting things. I'm sure the tournaments are really fun. I'm sure the community is really mm-hmm. nice. But we've got to go check then, out this other game. Then I have to go play a Euro game about trains. Like, well, I can't. It's, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like, it's like some kind of sci-fi where I'm looking at the life I could have lived. Mm, if you were a flesh and blood head. Yeah, if but you, that would if, involve if, letting go of all the board games that I play. Yeah, if you were the world champ Forgeborn. You know, I could do it if you took the, I hope, the, I hope the you, national championship. You know with that Zimul or whatever in, his name was. <laughs> Z- wait, what's his name? Oh, Zimus. 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 I could have swept with my Zimus focused <laughs> strategy. Always upgrade Zimus to level three. If you, if you, if any Soulforge Fusion uh, pros are listening to yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just make sure you always upgrade Zimus to level three. Always upgrade Zimus. Uh, you've got a. Um, there's that card that I had that turned people into a wisp. That was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. The Grove Mother was cool because she got more damage. Yeah. <laughs> My combo Grove Mother ice card deck. I feel like the more Soulforge Fusion I play, the less I know about the world, <laughs> which is really not. I tell you what, hey, you know what? Also, mm-hmm. do you know how many of my friends, this is now a, a not, a, well, related, but kind of a non sequitur. Yeah. You know how many of my friends play Magic the Gathering? Lots. And you know how often they tweet and how fun they make it seem? <laughs> like they're always just tweeting, like, you know, a preview of a card that's coming soon, and they'll be like, oh, this will fit really well into my Frexia deck yeah. or whatever. And I'm like, 
I wish I had a Brexia deck. You know what actually kind of sold me on Magic the Gathering and made me want to get into it? What? Um, was there was that thing with, I can't remember his name, the bald guy um, who's like a tough geezer in the UK. Ross Kemp. Ross Kemp. Yeah. So Ross Kemp did an advert for Magic the Gathering. And you were like, I'm in. I was like, I'm so in. Because the pack they were, you know, doing an advert for was like, it was like the rough streets of this, like, I don't know, um, you know, strangely sort of exoticized, weirdly kind Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Because yeah, it was for a, uh, it was for a block that was set in this city. Yeah. And then yeah. he was doing it. And a- he was like, I'm reporting on all the crimes that are going on in Magic the <laughs> Gathering. You know what made me want to uh, play Magic <laughs> was when my friend showed me that on the main Magic the Gathering website where yeah. you can buy and sell cards. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a ticker showing the price of the cards, right? Right. Um, of what that card is selling for right now. And he showed me that during like world championships, mm. if a particular player did really well, then suddenly <gasps> he played a particular, I don't know, I'm going to invent this now. Zemus. He plays his level three Zemus card. his level three Zemus. You can watch the price of level three Zemus go up because a player has figured out that level three Zemus is really good. And I don't know, like, like, I don't particularly love the game itself of Magic the Gathering, but I love everything around it. Right, I love right. the artwork. I love the lore. I love the community. Mm-hmm. I love the tournaments. I love... Dude, I follow a guy on TikTok. People who know him will probably know exactly who I'm talking about. But he's a guy from the South in America who just makes fun of the Magic the Gathering cards as a Magic the Gathering pro and talks about <laughs> why they're busted and broken. And it's so funny that I don't need to understand what the hell I'm even listening to for it to be... Because the community's that's big and... When a community around a game gets big enough, the fan works themselves becomes yes, yes. reasons to play the game. Yeah, that's really cool. Is that so? Maybe is Hon? Is this your sort of ultimate conclusion? We sort of show the people at home two really cool new up and coming CCG games that like we've played and enjoyed, and then you're like, get into Magic the Gathering. Here's this the thing: year. my job is to tell people what board games and discrete individual box card games to play. In the world of CCGs, <laughs> I don't know. I thought Netrunner was good. I feel no <laughs> professional responsibility to tell people what to do. My conclusion on this podcast uh-huh. is that trading card games are, complicated. are fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, both. That yeah, can be, sure, that, that sure. Can be yours. Yeah. That's the take-home message. Okay. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Yeah. Hope you've enjoyed this episode where we uh, ramble for quite a while about some card games and about, Zemus. About Zemus. About I was going to say, yeah. We got Zemus's uh, five minutes of fame I'm there. thinking about Zemus. Richard, I really hope that the Soulforge Fusion community do a campaign to get a, a other Zemus cards. A in foil Zemus. I don't even know how the generated decks in Soulforge Fusion works. Could be Zemus, could be a card that only exists for us. What if that's mm. true? Oh, what if we only... <gasps> what if we have the only copy Exclusive of Zemus? rare Zemus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, thank you very much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Probably just talking about some board games again. Yeah, probably. It's very hard, this, talking it's about card games. It's tricky, isn't it? Bye. Bye. Look at this mess of cards <laughs> that are around the mic. Oh, my God.